listening to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Gina Wilson is a holistic executive coach, author, and coach to adults, college students, and families with ADD. I am so excited to have her back on our podcast because she conducts also ADD education and advocacy programs at colleges and universities, high schools, and in the community, and has trained educators and youth program administrators on supporting children with ADHD. She has written about ADD in Coaching Perspectives 3 and about developing soft skills in her latest book that we talked about on our recent episode, Skills That Build. And if you didn't have a chance to check that one out, I highly recommend it. Not only as a parent and educator, any person can learn something from that interview. And that was so awesome. Thank you, Gina. And welcome back to Momnificent. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I'm delighted to be here. So Gina, didn't you say one of your kids struggled with ADD and how did you know they had ADD or what age were they? And can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yes, I had two children with ADD. Um, They're grown adults now. Um, One was diagnosed at age seven and another at age 11. Um, The one uh, had uh, really exhibited hyperactivity uh, to the point where the impulsivity uh, became a safety issue. He was becoming accident prone, um, uh, having a lot of things like falling off his bike, impulsive um, speed, you know, with the bike and um, just, you know, normal rough and tumble play that, you know, became an issue. Uh, I remember spending like four Aprils in the emergency room, you know, with stitches here and a cut here and a puncture wound, he stepped on something. I mean, the things like that just kept getting, more and more difficult to manage. Um, and I was concerned for his safety. So uh, for, for that child, the hyperactivity component was a red flag for me. Uh, the impulsivity um, did not really see other issues um, at school or socially, um, but that was definitely a safety concern for me to, to start asking questions. Um, with the other child, there was no real exhibited hyperactivity there was not even any noticeable inattentiveness. Um, But with her, it was more, um, she would articulate as she got older and she was the one to diagnose at 11. uh, She was able to articulate to me that there was a lot of thoughts going on in her head at the same time. And almost to the point of being overwhelmed by, you know, all of this content going through her head. Um, And, there was also some physical signs of stress, uh, stomach aches and things like that. So started asking questions, uh, you know, related to those and, and got a full medical evaluation and so forth. And so for both children, we brought them to a pediatrician, started there um, and brought in specialists as we needed to. And uh, ultimately they were both diagnosed and one with ADHD, one with ADD at the time, my children are older now. So um, it was before some of the terminology had changed. Um, but that's how it was. That's how it was for us. 
So did you notice it or did the teachers notice it and share it with you or was it different for each child? Uh, it was definitely something I noticed and uh, from an early age, honestly, for, for the younger one, um, it was really evident that he had hyperactivity. However, it wasn't interfering. And of course, as we'll probably talk about later in the podcast, um, if it's starting to interfere with, you know, a function in their lives, then of course that becomes problematic. So I didn't notice any inter interfering. Um, so I thought, well, you know, this is something we can work with and we can get through this um, through, you know, behavioral methods and um, just educating um, ourselves and, and our child really about what was going on. But when the safety issue became a, a regular occurrence, that, then we felt that, you know, we needed to do something. And also um, for the other child, you know, she was exhibiting stress symptoms. And I think from trying to manage the ADD internally. So uh, I didn't want her to have to experience that if there was something we could do to support her. Mm. And so you also help coach kids or maybe adults who, who have ADD, but did you have someone like that for your kids? Is that how you got into that? Or how did you see this need for coaching kids or students? I didn't have a coach and I would have liked to have had a coach <laughs> at the time. Um, I did educate myself and, you know, having, you know, I taught psychology, I studied experimental cognitive psychology. So I know a little bit about how the brain works and how learning occurs and um, uh, child development to a degree. So I knew to ask the questions, um, but when I started coaching, and this was about nine years ago, I felt that I was seeing in some of my adult clients in the workplace uh, symptoms of ADHD, and they were coming to me with some of the same sort of executive function challenges, organizational skills, planning, uh, time management, things like that, that are common challenges for those with ADHD. So I felt you know, this is something I, you know, I can bring into my coaching practice. So I, I started uh, working with my adult clients on ADHD. Many of them actually came to me and said, can you work with my college age student, my college age children who are having some of these same issues. So I started coaching uh, college students. And um, then I decided to develop a program around that for college students for ADHD in the workplace, and also for educators and people who work with children who needed a better understanding of ADHD. Well, I am so excited, actually, personally, <laughs> that you're sharing this, because I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Just this last week, I was talking to someone that I met, and their child struggled with ADHD all growing up, and they read every book there was out there, and mm -hmm. they really struggled in school, like, were misunderstood, and, and then, you know, look like they were the bad kid and got in trouble and she got calls from school like so many times and mm -hmm. now he's an adult he's in his early 20s and she literally was you're not gonna believe I'm, I'm saying this she literally was like they should have coaches for adults like they do for what you do when you have the kids having the issues okay so I and it's funny because I just got her hooked on listening to my podcast and I, and I can't wait I'm gonna text her after this call and be like oh my gosh I found someone for your son I mean it's probably a whole other hurdle to get the son to actually like want it right because it's one thing that I want this for my 27 year old but how do I make it appealing <laughs> Um, You'd be surprised. A lot of people recognize it, say, I could really use this kind of oh, support. This is so <laughs> exciting. I'm so excited we're on this call together. Okay. So 
Back to one of my other questions. What's a common indicator or a look for when it comes to a kid struggling with ADD? Because I feel like that's the one that's kind of missed more often, right? Mm -hmm. Or help us with that. Uh, so you're referring to the inattentive ADHD, inattentive, um, formerly known as ADD, right? So the terminology has changed. Since my children were originally diagnosed many years ago, we use the term ADD for the inattentive type. Now there's subtypes, which we can get into, but uh, the inattentive type is kind of a sleeper, right? So we don't always catch that. The hyperactivity is much more easily noticed. Um, and I feel that, you know, we can uh, dismiss it maybe in terms of someone's really not just, they're just not interested or they're not really, um, they don't have a high energy level. And, and there's a lot of ways we can kind of, um, minimize what might be going on when we see someone being inattentive. So that one, unfortunately, does get less frequently diagnosed. And, and unfortunately, it happens more girls are um, uh, characterized with ADD, inattentive um, ADHD. I was going to ask and, you that. Yes, I really, I feel like I hear of that more often. Mm -hmm. And so um, it does, and in our case, it was, uh, as the child got older, that's when it became more evident. As a younger child, it really wasn't noticeable in any way. And so I think that is, I'm glad you brought that up because it is, there's no one indicator, right? So if everyone had the hyperactivity component, that would be an easy, you know, an easier thing, right? But not everyone is. In fact, uh, and I've learned, um, you know, through my research and, and talking with other parents and clients, there are so many ways that ADHD manifests itself from person to person, even within families, there could be, you know, individual differences. So there is no one comment. I wish there was, I wish there was a lab test. I mean, we can measure a blood level or something that we don't, we're not there yet. We don't know enough about it, frankly. Um, so there's no one uh, red flag, but I would caution parents if there's anything that seems to be causing difficulty for your child, start asking the questions, start making observations, start involving others to get some feedback. And you know whether it's ADHD or anything else, if you see your child struggling, get the resources that you need. And you know, and if that means educating yourself, that means asking the you know teachers at school, other people who. Um, maybe a babysitter or grandparents, extended family, people who interact with your child on a regular basis can give you feedback. And then you can start developing questions and a set of experts to um, refer to. And, and I would take advantage of those resources. So when you say ask the right questions, what kind of questions do you mean? Well, so there are questions like um, medical questions, right? So you would want to make sure that you've had a full medical evaluation of your child, because there's a lot of lookalikes for ADHD symptoms. A child could be just deprived of sleep. They're not getting good quality sleep. They're not getting enough sleep. They're not, um, uh, you know, they're not turning off screen early enough so that their brain can actually calm down and, and, and actually get good quality sleep. So that might mimic uh, an ADHD symptom of inattentiveness because you're simply, you know, not able to uh, process and attend like you might if you had a full night's sleep, if you had regular consistent sleep. So you really need to tease out other things that are going on. So ask, start with your pediatrician and find out 
are there medical um, conditions going on here or is there something else that I need to be concerned of? So start asking those kinds of questions. Also ask your child, you know, your child can articulate some things, particularly older children, school-aged children can tell you if they're not feeling right. They may not be able to articulate exactly what, but if something is, is different, they can sort of uh, begin to tell you. Um, and I would say, listen to your child and also listen to yourself as a parent. As a, as a teacher, you know this child and you, if you spot something that seems just not out of sorts, you really need to bring that to the attention of people who can help. So if you're the teacher, you may wanna mention it to the, to the parents. If you're a parent, you may wanna ask the teacher, have you noticed such and such? And so involve the community of, of support that you have available to you and ask questions, start asking questions, start learning about the various conditions and um, come armed to an appointment, let's say you're seeing pediatrician, come armed with information so that you can ask, you know, does this apply to my child? Is this something that I need to be concerned about? And when you work and coach a child or an adult or a young adult, what kinds of things, can you give us a glimpse of what someone might expect if they were curious, like, well, what does that really look like? Sure. Um, so a lot of it starts with all coaching is that in fact starts with self-awareness. So we start with, you know, how much do you know about your condition? And surprisingly, a lot of people don't know enough about their condition. So uh, we start with that and um, develop that uh, sense of, you know, where they're struggling, what, where their strengths are, because we very much leverage strengths to manage conditions um, like ADHD. And so we use those strengths to help uh, develop coping mechanisms, develop workarounds, another way of doing something that might be challenging if we do it in one way, we might try it in another, um, with another approach. So self-awareness is the first thing. Education is the second, um, knowing the condition, knowing how it manifests itself in you. And then, um, figuring out how you work best. And that works for teens. It works really well for adults. But when we start to um, align our practice, our daily life with our strengths and our methods, our approach to solving problems, to doing work, to interacting with others, when we start putting all those things together in a way where we can really thrive and work towards our potential, we're not fighting upstream. We're not swimming upstream. We're not fighting the ADD symptoms. And that's why with adults, a lot of times uh, people think that you outgrow ADHD. You really don't outgrow it. It is a, you know, it's a, a brain-based condition that uh, typically we just develop ways of working with it. And we can choose habits and lifestyles as adults that align with our strengths and, and our abilities. Whereas with children, you know, we're in somewhat artificial settings, right? We're in a classroom, we're in, you know, in social situations that are more contrived and the child has less control over that. But as an adult, we have a lot more choice and autonomy in how we work and what kind of work we go into. Um, you know, there's certain fields that lend themselves. There's a lot of great entrepreneurs who, um, have ADHD. Why? Because they're able to focus on what they really like to do and they're able to bring that energy to a line of work, right? So um, unfortunately with children, they don't yet have that autonomy. So they can't necessarily exercise some of those same approaches, but that's what we look for in coaching. So we look at 
the whole person. We look at the work, we look at the family, we look at social relationships, we look at everything that gives us a full holistic view of that individual, whether it's an adult or a teenager, we, we start working through, you know, how can you leverage your strengths? What kind of um, situation works best for you? How do you learn best? Are you a person who hears, you know, you like books on tape and that kind of thing, or you like to read? Are you a person who's very visual? Are you a person who, um, uh, you know, maybe you can take notes in meetings. I have this a lot of times with my adult clients who are typically um, hyperactive and they complain they can't sit through an all day meeting and at work. Well, how about you take notes? And, and that works two ways. First of all, you're retaining the information more because you're physically writing it down or you're typing it in a computer, but also it brings um, an interest. So the speaker, let's say, feels that, oh, this person is really attending to what I'm saying. So, I mean, it, it works two ways. It's good for you. It's good for the other people in the meeting. And it is a way for you to manifest the ADHD in a very positive, constructive way. So you're not drumming your hands on the table. You're not shaking your leg. You're not getting up and down from your chair. But so these are uh, accommodations that we we make for ourselves as adults, we can make some of these choices. For children, they may have a little less flexibility um, in the classroom setting, but uh, as adults, we learn you know, what works, what doesn't work. Um, pretty sure I have ADD and never was uh, diagnosed. Of course, you know, as, as adults, we don't, we were too young before a lot of the uh, research was done. And unfortunately, um, I think some behaviors are written off as, you know, uh, just a behavioral issue and, and not really realizing it's a brain-based uh, condition. I feel that, you know, the advances in technology and the research have really helped people become much more aware of ADHD as a condition. Uh, but, you know, having two children with ADHD, pretty good chance that me and probably my husband as well are ADHD people. But for me, it, it's, I, you know, I have my own business. I have my own practice. I'm a pretty high energy person. I read yeah. a book. Yeah. I that. channel energy in ways, you know, that in things that I'm interested in. So yeah. it's worked out for me. It's worked out for my family. And I, and I like to leave um, that thought with my clients is that once you align with your strengths and what you're capable of doing, and you can focus that energy that way, um, your ADHD will really work for you and, and it'll be a, a blessing. It'll be a benefit. And I, I want people to see it that way because it truly can be. And sometimes it kind of feels quite the opposite. Yes, it you can. Know, yes. It's a burden and oh no, oh my, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. Or and, and when you see your kids struggling, like that's so hard, right? As a mom mm -hmm. and a parent, like, can I struggle? Like, I don't want to see my kids struggle. And, and then mm -hmm. parents are at a loss of, you know, what to do or what steps to take or how to help them. And I love how you brought up just like the, almost like the skill building and the recognizing those different mm -hmm. strategies that I think kids and adults have to learn. Mm -hmm. Did you um, figure that out and help your kids with that? Or how did you know, like, did you put your kids on meds? How did you make the decision to do that or not? Like, then there's the whole, you know, question about meds. Yeah, there, so with with our family, we um, were very uh, cognizant of the fact that the time management organization skills would help. Whether someone has ADHD or not, 
we can all use it. These are not innate abilities. We're not born knowing how to, you know, step through a, you know, a six week long project or you do a research paper or anything like that. We, um, we, we spend a lot of time, my husband and I teaching our kids some of the strategies that we use as adults. We're both business owners. We both <clears throat> are probably um, what somebody would call high energy uh, individuals. And so we, we did this. We didn't have coaches available to us um, at the time. So we taught them what we knew, what worked for us, what didn't work for us. Um, we also took advantage at school. There was a lot of support at school. The counselors at school were very helpful. Um, so we you know, relied on their expertise and they helped guide our children as well. We had some fantastic educators along the way who I would really be remiss if I didn't recognize their contribution to helping our kids. Some of them really embraced our children and enabled them to really thrive in, in their uh, academic career. Um, but we, you know, we've tried medication. We, for the younger one um, who was diagnosed at an early age, we went through the medication regimen. Um, the older one uh, was on a different set of meds. We tried those. Um, there were times when we changed the medication. Uh, there were times when we went off the medication. As the kids got older, a lot of changes had to be made. And they elected to make some of the changes for themselves. As they became teenagers, um, they became much more self-aware. And um, you know, so we worked through that. And I have clients who don't take medication, who are against medication, or who um, uh, you know, for whatever reason, their child can't take medication, that's fine. Um, but I would caution, even if you are taking medication, you still need to address some of those behavioral components, right? So learning these techniques for self-awareness, um, the techniques for time management, the techniques for um, breaking down a huge project into smaller bits, all of that can be taught and learned and actually work together for, for a multifaceted approach. And I believe that works best. Um, and, you know, there's those who, for whatever reason, can't take medications, there's side effects, you have to work through all of that. The, um, the regimen of a medication for these meds is particularly complex. In other words, we have neurotransmitters that are affected by the types of medication that are given for ADHD. If we are messing with our uh, schedule, we mess with, with what's going on in this, um, uh, the neurotransmitters in our brain. So we're not only affecting ADHD behavior, but we're also affecting other brain functions. So it's really important to stick to the regimen uh, administer the medications on a, on a regular basis at the same times, you know, as directed by your physician, it's, it's really important. And if you need to make a change, work with that physician to uh, make those adjustments. It might be the time of day that you're taking it. You know, if you take it too late in the day, it may keep the child up at night. Um, you know, we, we work through a lot of those challenges, but ultimately you find what works best for you. And, um, we found that the multifaceted approach worked really well. A lot of my clients, adult clients, you know, they don't take the medications, but they have learned some of these skills where they're developing some of these skills to help them with the executive functions. So um, I think, you know, it's, a, it's not a one size fits all solution. And so when we recognize the individual, then we work for, you know, the best approach that works for them. 
And I just want to back up for just a second to one of the other questions we were talking about. Even though there's a variety of examples of what ADD could look like for a person or what they exemplify, what are the mm -hmm. ones that you've seen, maybe someone's listening and they aren't familiar with any signs of, of ADD, what, what mm -hmm. are just a few that you have seen, even though we know everyone's going to be kind of individual? Sure. Um, so a lot of times, uh, you know, let's take the hyperactivity component. Uh, obviously, that could be a very physical thing, right, where a person is kind of just really expending energy, like as if they're driven by a motor. We see this with young children a lot that they simply can't sit still. They fall off the chair at dinner time. Um, you know, they just are fidgeting all the time. They simply just seem to have a lot of energy to expel. Uh, that's pretty um, uh, visible, right? That we, we can see. And, and sometimes it's truly differentiating one child from another in terms of the level and the intensity of the activity. But it could also be someone who's very, very chatty, right? So it may not be physical hyperactivity. It might be someone who just talks incessantly or who talks so fast, you can't even really pick up but every other word, okay? So this may be another manifestation of hyperactivity. It might be someone whose brain is running through hundreds and hundreds of thoughts. Okay, so it manifests itself differently from individual to individual. We also might see um, someone who's got uh, challenges with impulse control. So it might be someone interrupting conversations. I see this in adults all the time in meetings. You know, you could be sitting at work and the same individuals are constantly interrupting the speaker or, you know, the team. So, you know, it could be interruption. That is a, that is a point of impulsivity, right? So we have to train ourselves to wait until someone's finished speaking. And, and it's so hard. It is hard. It's it so is hard. hard. <laughs> I deal with it myself. I'm diagnosed <laughs> sitting over here listening. Well, so <laughs> Sorry, <you're okay. laughs> um, but it, you know, general inattentiveness. We might see someone uh, be. Some people may be described as having zoned out, right? Or this this person is really chill. Well, it could be that they have the inattentive component of ADHD. So. Um, it's interesting to see how it's described and how uh, it changes from children to adults. So, you know, children grow out of that hyperactivity, that physical hyperactivity a lot, but they learn to channel that energy elsewhere. And that becomes more evident as they start to play sports or they, um, you know, they take up running or, you know, they might do something that channels that energy physically in another way, or they're a fitness fanatic. Um, and, and these are, these can be very adaptive behaviors, right? Not a good way to channel this extra energy, but also um, things that we don't see all the time or someone who is struggling, uh, particularly in school, um, they really, they have trouble with getting the right things in the backpack. They might leave books in the locker, or they might leave something on the bus, or they left their violin at home on the day they have band. You know, things like these kinds of, um, uh, you would almost uh, say, you know, kind of just disorganized uh, behaviors could be a sign of ADHD. So I would look for things like that. Um, and as adults too, you know, we're packing for a trip, we forget the suitcase or something like that. Uh, it happens and it, it is much more common than you think. In fact, um, 
uh, the statistics are showing maybe 25 to 30 percent of um, families, if there's one child diagnosed with ADHD, is 25 to 30% chance that someone else in the family is diagnosed as well. Oh, really? So that's, it's a real, you know, it's showing the genetic component. There is some uh, biological basis. It can be, um, absolutely, it can be okay. um, uh, manifest itself differently among those children or within the family, but chances are there's someone else in the family. And adults, we're seeing, you know, three, 4% of adults now being adult uh, diagnosed with ADHD, much less so than children, partially because they've already developed mechanisms and coping uh, strategies that they can manage the ADD and it's not interfering. Uh, so uh, that's when we really need to start paying attention when we see something interfering with our child's ability to um, realize their full potential or if it's interfering with their social relationships, if it's interfering with their academics, um, you know, that's when we really start to question, but maybe as adults, they've already adapted. So they're less likely to go and be diagnosed. Um, but some adults, I've had some clients who, you know, later in life, decide that something is going on, and they decide to get tested, and they discover for themselves, maybe they are diagnosed at that point with ADHD. So if, if a sibling has it, you could kind of be aware that it might show up in another of your children, or mm -hmm. if you as the parent or the grandparent mm -hmm. had it, it might be something that you might kind of look for or be on the lookout for in your own children. Yes. Yeah, that was that was a question that I had for you. And then, um, so what are some successful strategies? Like maybe a parent has a child with ADHD or or ADD, and let's take homework. Like that's a really big struggle at home when they come home. Mm -hmm. um, are are there any strategies that you can share with us that maybe have helped you that someone listening could implement? Even though I know. Sometimes when you go to the doctor, they give you all these strategies, but maybe someone listening recognizes these kind of symptoms in their child and maybe there's some things they could take some steps to help their child with today. Yes, I think um, one of the often overlooked uh, strategies is a regular schedule. Okay, having consistency and structure around when we do our work, when we do our homework, when we do, when we have free time, when we, you know, have screen time, uh, sticking to a structure is really helpful for someone with ADHD. Um, so they can start to wrap their mind around, okay, now, you know, after school, I have, you know, half hour of free play, and then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do a half hour of homework or whatever age appropriate length of time. But the point is to establish a regular schedule and a pattern so that it's, introduces a level of predictability and it sort of minimizes the chaos because when you think about an ADHD brain there's a lot of chaos going on right so whatever we can do to minimize and create regularity and routine helps um, with our productivity and with our ability to manage multiple demands and as we get older of course that becomes even more more of a concern, we need to manage multiple demands, but it doesn't mean multitasking. So would caution parents that, you know, if your child has ADHD, you probably don't want them doing a few things at one time, right? So maybe you uh, itemize, okay, tonight we're working on, you know, the math homework, Spanish, uh, English paper, you know, and so you try to just manage, um, how much time you're going to devote to each of those areas 
you try not to introduce a lot going on at once. So maybe your child doesn't do well with if he hears background noise, or maybe um, there are some people who work better with you know low music or white noise machines. And so when you find those strategies that work for your child, kind of set the stage, right? Create that work area. Uh, they have a desk in a certain place that's quiet where they can work without interruption, without distraction. You know, we need to do all these things to position our children to be successful. And we also do this for adults at work, right? So in, in coaching, I, a lot of the, my adult clients will say, I can't work in this open office environment. You know, it's, you know, we have in one long table with a bunch of workstations and this one's on the phone, this one's in a meeting, these two are talking and I just can't attend to what's going on. It's because they know what works for them and this is not the type of environment where they work best. So we make accommodation, accommodations. We ask if the boss can, you know, reallocate them to an office with a closed door or a quiet area of the room, or maybe two days a week, they work from home. You know, before the pandemic, we were doing that a lot, like asking for a time to work at home so that dedicated time could be allocated to a project. So similarly with children, we need to use these same sort of structured techniques to have the child in an environment where they can work best. And, and that means educating others, other people in the family. You know, you don't just go in and knock on their door, you know, when we have this 20 minutes of math time, you know, so respecting boundaries is really important. Um, so I would say introducing structure, um, knowing what's best, set up a work environment for homework. When is it going to happen? Where is it going to happen? And get all those positions in place so that uh, you don't have to recreate it each night as the child, you know, is starting to do their homework for the evening. Mm, such valuable tips. Thank you so much for that. So what's one last thing you would like to leave our listeners with um, in the area of being an advocate for your child with ADHD? What's one of the biggest lessons you learned or a biggest takeaway that you want to just leave our listeners with today? Um, well, two, two things come to mind. One is I feel that, um, ADHD is not something to be terribly concerned about. Um, you know, as I said, people grow and, and manage the challenges that come with ADHD and they can then as adults become really great contributors to society. And, um, so I feel like, you know, I want to offer that hope because I think some parents of young children, particularly, you know, get overwhelmed with, you know, oh my gosh, what does this mean? And, and how is this child going to do later in life? So I want to offer that hope that it's absolutely manageable. And it's something that, um, we can help our children with by supporting them with their strengths, recognizing their strengths, have them learn to recognize their strengths. We can also, um, help them with stress management so that as things get overwhelming or difficult, they learn for themselves how to take care of themselves. I think it's just really important. And I feel like that's probably the biggest thing we can do as parents is help our children get through challenges. And so if we can, if we can work with them and they work through these issues as children, they can then do it even better as adults, as teenagers and adults. And particularly as they get on to college, you're not going to be there to help them and, and, you know, 
day to day, you know, deal with classes and all the demands in college. But if you set that stage early on, then they can be successful in their college days as well. So support them, advocate for them, teach them to advocate for themselves. Uh, role play, if that means, you know, you pretend you're the teacher and the child talks to you as they're going to go in and talk to their teacher tomorrow and ask, well, what about this, this, this item you marked wrong on my test? I don't think it's wrong. And here's why you need to be able to have a child feel comfortable doing that. And in order to do so, maybe that means the parent takes on the other role and role plays some of those situations so that the child develops the confidence to speak for themselves, to advocate for themselves, to educate others on how they work best. Because you know, as an educator, you want the child to succeed. In, in the workplace, employers want employees to succeed. They want them to do well. So everyone will benefit if we know how someone works best. And the, the accountability has to start with that individual though and asking for what they need. Because not everyone will know, you know what an individual needs. So we need to be able to advocate for ourselves and, and ask and educate others as appropriate. And advocating for yourself is the is skill they're going to need for the rest of their life. Absolutely. And if we can practice that with them now, I love that role-playing idea um, and being the other person's shoes. Like I'll be the teacher, you be the kid. Now let's, let's, let's switch. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I hear parents saying like, well, my kid is too young that they won't say that to the teacher. And uh, well, yeah, actually you can kind of teach them to say that. I mean, if you say it yes. in a very comfortable way, um, most teachers will listen and be like, oh, hey, well, let's, let's talk about that or let's, let's work through this together. <laughs> That's a really awesome point that you bring out. So Gina, where can someone go to find and follow you? Well, I'm, my website is ginamwilson.com. Um, you can connect with me there on LinkedIn, on um, Instagram and Twitter. Um, please email me. If you have any questions, I'm happy to entertain questions um, through the website. There's a contact form. Um, but absolutely, you know, take advantage of resources that are out there. Um, if I can be a resource, I'd love to do so. So um, that, that would be great. Well, this is awesome. And I know already one person right after this call that I'm going <laughs> to go with that I just was talking to last week. I love how that happens. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Karen. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment. But feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.